Hello, and welcome to Hearth Talk. This is Craig Isad. Today, we're going to speak with Stephen Morris, one of the earliest employees at Vermont Castings. However, today, we're going to discuss Stephen's writing and publishing career, which started back at Yale University and extends to the present day. Stephen has written on many subjects, specializing in green, sustainable energy, wood heat, and other similar topics. I think you'll find this interview interesting. Thanks. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I'm doing well, Craig. Um, I just received from you uh, an actual signed copy of your newest book, uh, The New Village Green, which is a... Uh, an interesting book. It touches on a, on a whole bunch of topics uh, in the world of uh, of both the internet, the coming together of uh, communication between people, and uh, a topic that seems to be uh, uh, big on your list, and that's uh, a, a number of uh, energy saving and green technologies and and ways of living uh, in that book. And um, knowing you from quite a while back. A lot of our relationship has been uh, through your um, your place in the stove business, having first met uh, when you were a sales manager and in marketing at, at Vermont Castings. Uh, however, I've seen quite a bit of your writing, both in the, in the marketing. I've read, read virtually all of your books, uh, some of your columns and things like that. So uh, I want to spend a little time today on sort of your history of writing books, articles, uh, uh, and uh, green and on green subjects, uh, things like that. So uh, perhaps we can get started with um, your, your education when you first uh, thought about writing or, or got into writing. Sure. Uh, I went to Yale College and um, I, I had some vague ambitions of wanting to be a writer. But I, uh, I majored in psychology because I thought that would be a more interesting thing to do. But I got very heavily involved in theater, and I had a couple of uh, plays that were produced while I was at Yale. This, of course, uh, convinced me that I was a prodigy and a genius. And so uh, immediately after uh, getting out of college, I did what every inexperienced writer does, which is to undertake to write the great American novel. And if... Uh, you said you'd read almost all my books. I guarantee that you haven't read Food Ball, which is a dramatic novel set against a mythical background of the fast food business in America. It, it actually sounds good. I, would, I haven't read it. You're right. Uh, I've only read your, uh, your bestsellers. <laughs> actually, I think the idea of Food Ball is, is pretty delightful. It's about a guy who ends up making it with a new fast food chain where you take your hamburger fries and big thick shake and to save even more time you just grind it up and turn it into one pellet that you then deep fat fry and that's your food ball you know you were way ahead of your time it's like that movie that what's the movie uh, supersize me you know you you thought about that 30 years before story of my life <laughs> When I do my memoir, I'll call it 30 Days, 30 Years Too yeah, Soon. Yeah, 30 Years Too Soon. Uh, you wouldn't have happened to have a classmate uh, named uh, G.W. Bush or anything when you were in Yale, did you? Uh, no. He uh, actually was at Yale while I was there, but was not in my class. I do have a, uh, a classmate whose name is Gary Trudeau, however, and I'm much prouder of that. Ah, I hear you. Uh, 
Okay, and then I guess the first time I became familiar with some of your writing that's more towards the uh, the green end, the uh, rural living, uh, wood heat, was was actually a book. Uh, and was it called The Book of Wood Heat? You actually wrote this uh, maybe when you were with Vermont Castings? That's right. Uh, uh, my uh, literary career was very much put on hold after my experience with uh, Food Ball, which, by the way, is in the bottom drawer of my desk if you do care to read it. Uh, but I, I, uh, I became involved with customer service, sales. I really wanted to move to a rural location and live a more green lifestyle. So I jumped at the chance to work for Vermont Castings, and, uh, you know, that was a, a rocket ship that uh, fully occupied me. And then uh, one day out of the blue, we were approached by a book packager who said we could really do well with a book about wood heat written by the authorities on the subject, uh, Vermont Castings. Could you put together such a book? So we undertook it uh, on a Skunk Works uh, project basis and came up with the manuscript in about uh, six weeks. It uh, got to the marketplace really quickly and it did quite well, was eventually translated into Japanese and sold uh, 70,000 copies in hardcover in Japan. Wow, 70,000 in Japan. And I remember it, it is quite a thick book. I shouldn't say I remember because I could probably go in the next room and I, I think I may even have a copy of it on my shelf. I've got a few. <laughs> still looking for them. Isn't it still uh, available? Whether uh, probably as a used book, uh, uh, or is it still be, is it still in publishing? I know I've seen it around on the internet. Well, it's it's not currently in print, and it's never been updated since the uh, environmental regulations came into effect. So it's uh, it's really obsolete information now. Although it has a lot of really charming material and great illustrations by Vance Smith. Yeah, I would say it's a book for the the collector or the wood heat aficionado, and at least to see where things were back there. And and you know, even up to this date, probably one of the nicest looking in terms of layout and, as you say, illustrations. Uh, books, you know, modern books on the subject. Well, it also had a uh, a great spirit of the times. It had a, a sense of humor. You know, it had sidebars on how to manage your own one acre coal mine backyard coal mine and uh, uh, just a lot of very fun stuff. And that uh, that's what Vermont Castings was like that wow. in those wow. days. And, and, of course, you did a tremendous amount of, uh, of writing with Vermont Castings just being in marketing, but, it, but you know, most of it was, I'm sure, in the vein of press releases and things of that nature. Was there any other writing you did of the same nature uh, as the Book of Heat at Vermont Castings, in other words, in a more general sense? Well, uh, we had the owner's news, so we had a platform there that uh, always need to be, needed to be fed with uh, fresh material. We had the copywriting that was needed for ads and catalogs and things like that and press releases. So it was very much of a, a very active communications effort that took place. We also had a lot of uh, feature articles that uh, were done about Vermont Castings at that time. And uh, working on a timeline, uh, while you were at Vermont Castings, weren't you also writing some of your uh, your other books and, and columns for some of the papers in Vermont and things of that nature? Well, what happened was after um, 
the Book of Heat, the uh, the publisher, who was probably someone who wouldn't have given me the time of day before the the Book of Heat project, came back and said, "Well, what can you do for us next?" And it so happened I had uh, just about a completed manuscript on a trip I had made around the country, visiting the company, uh, the country's remaining breweries prior to my for my castings day, and this was called the Great Beer Trek, and uh, so I got that in shape and handed it into them. They accepted it. And uh, so that was the start of my individual literary career. And this was happening while you were still employed at Vermont Castings. That's right. And now how about the next book or two? Uh, there was one book that sort of had an approximation of, of somebody working at a stove company in Vermont. Which book, which book is that? Well, I... Uh, after uh, the Great Beer Trek, which uh, did quite well, and again was published in several editions, eventually it was translated into Japanese. Again, the publisher came back and said, "Well, what are you going to do for us next? You now have a fledgling literary career." And so uh, I said, "How about a a book of fiction based on life in contemporary Vermont?" And uh, that uh, eventually was published under the title of Beyond Yonder. And in that book, there are some, uh, I, I, I borrowed pretty shamelessly from the uh, characters that existed uh, in Vermont in the mid-80s, and some of them did work for a mythical stove company. And uh, that book was published, a sequel to it called uh, The King of Vermont Came Next. And suddenly I was a, uh, a fledgling novelist. I should say that I, I've read both of those books, and, and just because of the little pieces of uh, of history of the Mythic Stove Company that you can pull out of there, it it, it sort of uh, is going to feel uh, very down home to anyone who's in the uh, wood stove industry or who, who who likes wood stoves or the history of wood stoves, and also uh, some of those interesting affairs of people moving back to the country when perhaps they really weren't the right type of people and uh, the particular ways in which they froze. <laughs> I sort of remember some passages you know, like that. It's an age-old story. There are always people who move to the country with these dreams of what it's going to be like. And for a lot of them, there's also this crushing reality of what it actually is like. And so as they are uh, encountering frozen pipes or a uh, raccoon running roughshod in your kitchen or uh, sliding off the road into a ditch or mud season, they're suddenly saying, you know, this is not what I had in my mind's eye. And that's what I tried to capture. And I tried to capture it from uh, uh, pretty much a humorous vantage point. I think you succeeded. I, I really I, I enjoyed the book. Now, also, you wrote a number of columns uh, of this type, if I'm not wrong. Was it in the Burlington paper? Was it during this time, after this time? Well, it was uh, pretty much uh, during this time. I, my column was in the Vermont Sunday Magazine, which is the magazine supplement to the uh, Barry Times Argus and Rutland Herald, and it's actually the largest Sunday magazine in Vermont. And... Uh, uh, Basically, I became uh, the rural Vermont equivalent of, of Dave Barry. Certainly didn't have the widespread fame and syndication of, of Dave, but uh, uh, around these parts, I was better known than he was. 
Hey, unfortunately, not as many people live in those parts as uh, maybe live in some of the parts like Miami and 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 such where uh, where Dave Barry hangs out, right? Or don't cows count? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess they do. I guess they do. Um, now today we're not going to go over a lot of the uh, the the part uh, that involves when you left Vermont Castings. However, when you did leave Vermont Castings, um, one of your next jobs was uh, probably a, a, a dream job for a person like you, and it was as uh, either a publisher or an editor-in-chief of, of a publishing house? Well, there's uh, an important step that came in between, uh, and that is that I spent several years as a consultant and one of my uh, first, my, my very first client was a company called Real Goods, who was a, a Vermont Castings dealer that I had appointed in Northern California. And they had a, a, a fledgling, that's the third time I've used that word, fledgling. Uh, they had a, a business that uh, really catered to the, uh, the dope farmers who lived off the grid in Northern California, and they sold solar panels and wind generators, uh, wood stoves, etc. cetera, uh, everything you needed for life uh, off the power grid. And uh, I experienced very much the same thing with them as I did uh, with Vermont Castings, uh, being caught up with a company that was uh, direct selling to the consumer, really telling the company's story through its marketing materials and catalogs, and we uh, experienced great growth together. And over the next few years, um, uh, Real Goods emerged as the national, the nation's leading seller of renewable energy products. Well, now, I guess I guess you heard it first here that their uh, their humble beginnings were supplying uh, marijuana farmers. Well, we don't know what they did. <laughs> you know, they came down but, out of the hills with cash. They came out of the hills, and they always had a lot of cash. In the uh, around this time of year, so uh, we we know that at one point Real Goods uh, needed to get some financing, but they didn't really have any credit to make them desirable to a bank. So they just sent a letter to their customers saying, "Hey, how about you loan us some money, and uh, we'll pay you a better interest rate than you could get from a bank." And over a quarter of a million dollars came in. Wow, that's the power of the internet before the internet. But now let me tell you the uh, sort of the, the crux of, of what happened there. Uh, another of my consulting clients at this time was Chelsea Green Publishing, which is a, a very uh, good little startup company in Vermont that had had some big successes, such as the man who planted trees and new organic growers, but an equal number of failures. So they were really uh, barely hanging on as a, a publishing company. Real Goods, meanwhile, was discovering that they were putting out enormous amounts of uh, information with nothing to show for it because they would spend hours and hours educating people to the fact that they really didn't want to have a wind generator attached to their, their home. So uh, I came up with the, the cross-connection that maybe Chelsea Green could publish books that would provide the information that Real Goods needed for its audience. The first book was one called Wind Power for Home and Business, and it became a big success, not only as a product for real goods, but in bookstores as well. And uh, in a couple of years, we looked at it and found out that real goods was making much more money selling books and information on solar energy, wind power, organic gardening 
than they were selling the actual equipment. Interesting. So uh, in some ways, I guess that relates to Hearth.com. We're selling more information or giving information as opposed to uh, moving those heavy stoves. It's much easier on your back, Craig. <laughs> okay, so, so, so it's through Real Goods that you came to this connection with Chelsea Green Publishing, a, uh, a publisher of, uh, of so-called green books or niche books uh, of different things. So then what happened from there? Well, I, uh, my, the thrust of my consulting with uh, Chelsea Green was you've got to stop publishing for a general audience and you've got to pick a niche and commit all your publishing resources to it. And they chose the niche of the then obscure term sustainable living. And they basically placed all their bets on that category. Over the next few years, they co-published a number of books with, uh, with Real Goods. I eventually went out to uh, Real Goods and joined them as chief operating officer for a while. But when Chelsea Green uh, publisher Ian Baldwin decided he wanted to step aside, they contacted me, and I wanted to come back to Vermont anyway, so I came back as president and publisher Chelsea Green. Now, why in the world would somebody want to come back from, from basking in the sun in central or northern California to Vermont? Well, you know, I love visiting California, but when I was out there, I missed Vermont so badly. I missed the, the weather. I missed the adversity I, of the climate. I missed the cragginess of the people. Uh, it just wasn't my cup of tea out there, even though it's it's pretty idyllic in, in many ways. And like I say, I've got a lot of friends there. I love going back. But I guess I've got a little bit of dirt road in me. Sort of a hard scrabble kind of guy. If it's too easy to get up the road, uh, you don't want to go there. That's uh, unfortunately my cross to bear. <laughs> okay, so you moved back to Vermont uh, with a job offer? Yes. Okay, and became uh, uh, involved chief uh, editor in chief. What are the, I, I lose all the terms in the in the publishing <laughs> industry right. that people use. Well, I was the the publisher, and what a publisher does is really makes the decisions that uh, decide how information is going to be made public. So you're really trying to marry the aesthetic considerations with the business considerations. So, for instance, if you have a, a book on solar energy uh, to determine whether it's going to be a $12.95 book or a $39.95 book, whether it'll have a hardcover, soft color, color section, things like that are, are all decisions that ultimately are made by the, the publisher. I wasn't the most experienced publisher at that time, but I had a very, very good feel for the environmental marketplace. And over the next uh, seven years, we published uh, about 150 books that have really uh, made Chelsea Green one of the, the premier publishers in that niche of sustainable living. I, I should mention to our listeners that you did this in a time where uh, where people who who you know said the word green living or sustainable living uh, you thought they were only in Northern California somewhere because uh, because this type of, of book had uh, had fallen out of uh, favor with the mainstream. It wasn't like today where you hear things on the news, correct? Uh, very much so. You know, the uh, the whole consciousness of uh, 
the green movement was fueled by the uh, Arab oil embargoes in the 70s. And there was the first Earth Day, the whole Earth catalog, etc., the back to the land movement. But that all faded away in the 80s and 90s. And uh, it was only a couple of uh, isolated places, such as Vermont Castings and, and Real Goods, where we continued to tell that story with the, the subtext that uh, someday this is going to become a major consideration. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. It's, uh, we're on all the front pages and uh, the cover of Newsweek, and uh, it's really come to pass. And could you name perhaps the five books that you're uh, either most proud of uh, or that were the biggest sellers while you were, uh, you mentioned 150 books may have been published during that time? Sure. Uh, um, one book that uh, came to the attention of Real Goods and I said, uh, you should, let's send this to Chelsea Green, was a book called The Straw Bale House about uh, how you could build these beautiful ecological homes using straw bales. That book became a real publishing phenomenon and uh, sold probably 150,000 copies at uh, 30 bucks a piece and uh, amazed everybody in the publishing world. Uh, I also was very instrumental in uh, turning the Real Good Solar Living Source book into a real bookstore product that uh, has just been published in its 13th edition, well over a quarter of a million sold, and uh, is a, a really the definitive reference in uh, the solar industry. Another little book that I'm very proud of is called uh, This Organic Life, and it's a memoir by Joan Gassal. And uh, Joan is a, um, well, she's more than a housewife, but she's a very ordinary person who has lives by the Hudson River and has written this beautiful memoir about how important it was to incorporate uh, organic principles into her life. And I feel that that book uh, really brought the whole idea of eating organic to a much broader group of people. So that's three. Is that enough? Yeah, Craig? yeah that's, that's enough to get going. the idea. Um, I guess I'm sort of impressed that... Uh, that you kept plodding on for all these seven years there and the time at Real Goods and, and even the time as a consultant, you kept plodding on with this sustainable and green and all this stuff uh, at a time when uh, when, the, when it seemed like the whole world was working against you and, and oil was often 79 cents a gallon. Craig, uh, uh, there was no plodding to it. I was running like hell the whole time. <laughs> Uh, so, um, okay, so you stayed with Chelsea Green for seven years, and uh, what was the, the next step in your publishing or writing career? Well, what happened uh, with Chelsea Green, I think we did as good a job as, as you can do with a, a small specialized publishing company, had a great team there, and uh, the original founders who had gotten out of it decided it was time for them to come back into the business. So they bought out my interest, and uh, I was left in my mid-50s saying, okay, what am I going to be when I grow up? And uh, went down a couple of different paths, but one of the things that happened is uh, I was hired by a New York publishing company to do a feasibility study on whether or not it would make sense to bring back the Whole Earth Catalog, which uh, I'm sure you remember from the early oh, yes, 70s. Yes. 
And uh, I did an extensive study on this and concluded that there was definitely a, a need for it and a market for it, but it was such a big, unwieldy, cumbersome book that you would never be able to recover the cost of what it would take to create the book. So the, the publisher bought into that conclusion and said they would pass on the project. But I was left with this sort of gnawing feeling, okay, how could it, how could we invent a better mousetrap here? And so towards that end, I decided that I would uh, reinvent publishing. And that's uh, what I've been trying to do with my uh, current ventures, the, the public press and also uh, magazine that I'm doing, Green Living Journal. And uh, in addition to that, I've also... Uh, revive my own writing career so I'm, I'm producing a lot more written material okay yes I know you've written uh, you've written a New England book I should say is that on uh, you can tell how much I know about fishing is that on striped bass well it is about striped bass it's called stripe a love and it's uh, it's a love story about fish and a fishy story about love I guess you could describe it it's a it's it's a, a book that is has a strong sense of place, and that place being a, uh, a little cottage in uh, the shadow of Boston where I spent a lot of my boyhood and uh, a dramatic story about how someone tries to recover their life by going back and reconstructing this building. And then uh, your most recent book, which we mentioned at the beginning... Um, the New Green Village is that the do I have the New, the New Village Green the New Village Green ah yes yeah and and that and that looks like quite an ambitious project well it does it it looks that way in fact however it uh, it's one of those rare cases where I feel like I am getting credit for something that I don't deserve credit for oh welcome because, welcome to the world of politics well gee I've spent <laughs> I spent most of my professional career not getting credit for things that I deserve credit for. Uh, I should say the welcome, uh, politics and corporate behavior. Right. But this one uh, began as a, a gleam in my publisher's eye. Uh, it's published by New Society Publishers in British Columbia, who wanted me to explain what green living was all about. And so I thought, oh, man, I'm the busiest guy in the world. How am I going to do a book? And I came up with the brilliant idea, I know, I'll get other people to write it for me. So I flashed out some emails to uh, my network, and I'm sure you got one, Craig, saying, you know, what are some of your ideas of the most important influences on our current environmental worldview? From that, I constructed some chapter titles and then sourced a bunch of articles that showed some of the classic ideas of the environmental movement in practical application. So an idea like Beyond the Limits, uh, which first emerged in the 70s that we were using up our natural resources, you take something like Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth, all that is is a reinterpretation of what uh, Danella Meadows and Dennis Meadows were saying in Beyond the Limits uh, more than 30 years ago. So the actual end result in the New Village Green is really pretty delightful. It's got Lots of lively articles that are taken from a variety of sources. Some of the voices are eco-celebrities like Bill McKibben and Michael Pollan. Uh, others are complete unknowns who uh, uh, are 
maple sugaring in Vermont or running an environmentally friendly laundromat in Portland, Maine, or doing a whole variety of things. But I'm really quite pleased with uh, how lively the finished product is. Well, I know it's it's also fairly new, so I, I wish you good luck with it. And the, towards the end of this podcast, we'll give some of the uh, of the URLs, uh, website addresses, uh, so at least that people can find you, and then through that, find all these these multitudes of prod of projects uh, that you've been working on. Um, and another thing I know you're involved with is a, a publication, uh, either a monthly or bi-monthly publication, Green Living. Right. It's actually a quarterly. Quarterly. Yeah. And uh, uh, Green Living is one of the oldest uh, continuously published environmental publications in the, the United States. Most people don't know about it because it's always been extremely localized to the uh, what's known as the Pioneer Valley area that includes uh, the town you live in, uh, Northampton, or you're actually outside of Northampton, but also southern Vermont and the parts of western New Hampshire. And it, it has done a great job of servicing that local business community. The publisher of Green Living, Marshall Glickman, had been doing it for 16, 17 years, and he came to me and said, Stephen, I've just been doing this for too long. I want to try something else. So can you help me find a buyer? So I, uh, I, I did help him find a buyer, but the more I looked at it, the more I thought, boy, this could really dovetail really nicely with what I'm doing with the public press. So I ended up acquiring it myself with the idea of replicating the business model in other environmental communities around the country. And we're, we've been doing that for a couple of years now, and we've got uh, an edition going on in southern Oregon. We have another one just uh, starting up in the Burlington, Vermont area, and five or six others that are uh, uh, in the wings and will be started up over the next six months or so. So um, for the benefit of our listeners, Green Living is uh, – sort of a, uh, a a green penny saver, for lack of a better word. It's a newsprint publication that I find in quite a few of the coffee houses and uh, lumber yards and all kinds of places here uh, in the southern Pioneer Valley. And if, 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 if any of our listeners uh, see themselves as uh, one of the next uh, local distributors of, of a green publication, that's going to be something... Uh, they can uh, look Stephen Morris up, and and uh, but this publication has has both a number of products and advertisements in it, which I noticed are just about all related to green living. And then it also has a number of articles in it, and there's a website that also uh, has some of the articles on it. Yep, a lot of them are found at uh, greenlivingjournal.com. Okay. And uh, so this is something you're trying to replicate uh, across the country, sort of on a franchise basis or on a, on a, on a they own their own business. You provide uh, certain services? Uh, that's right. They uh, acquire a license to be green living for a given territory. And then I try and make it very easy for them to be in business by supplying them with editorial material infrastructure for tracking potential advertisers and doing invoicing, etc. Neat, neat. So, uh, you know, in some ways, I'm sure we've, uh, we've educated and maybe confused a, a few of our listeners today because there's so many projects uh, you've been uh, with in the publishing and, and writing end over the years, but that's what websites are for. And uh, 
what are you using today as a URL? You can uh, find me at uh, the one I just mentioned, greenlivingjournal.com, or uh, our book publishing business, thepublicpress.com. Or if you just want personal information on me, you can find it at stephenmorris.us. And that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-M-O-R-R-I-S dot U-S. That's correct. And that, that does tie in with all your other websites, has, uh, has history and, and links to some of those other websites. Yeah, what I find is that people look at what I've done in my professional career, and they've either scratched their heads and uh, said, what, what, couldn't you hold a job? Or they look at it and say, oh, my God, uh, you've been amazingly consistent for the last 30 years. Yeah, and you know, you know, I, I couldn't help but think of your uh, twenty years too late" thing when you said, uh, you know, you published these hundred and fifty books with uh, Chelsea Green and and left there before the 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 most modern green boom has hit. Yeah, I uh, I'm a master of bad timing in that way. Well, good timing. You're, you, I, I could say you you make money for everybody else. Well, I'm proud to say that that is the case. <laughs> well, Stephen. I thank you very much for speaking with us today and uh, uh, look forward to some more interviews with you. Craig, it is always a pleasure to talk with you.